0: Uh, welcome to relevant faith church this morning my name is Mike Wilmer I'm the lead pastor here at relevant faith and we are excited that you are with us today um, it's just it's just a beautiful beautiful Sunday of great time to spend in the presence of God and worship and I have um, Something I want to share with you. But before I do, i got a couple of quick announcements. Very few things going on right now because it's the holiday season. We slow down a little bit because families ramp up this time of year. And so we have uh, a small group ministry called our exchange groups. We've been meeting every Wednesday and Thursday. Men meet on Wednesday evenings, Thursday uh, women on Thursday evenings. And um, this coming week is the last week for that, for the holiday season. We'll take a break until after the new year, and um, we'll retool and do maybe do some things a little differently. Maybe do some things very similarly. We have we'll talk about that and figure out what that looks like. But um, we'll be taking a break. This Wednesday is the last for the men's over at the Kensers. You're so welcome to come and spend time and and in, in the presence of God and worship and 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 the Word and just fellowship. It's a great opportunity to just connect with people and start and do and start those relationships of doing life together. And the ladies will meet at my house on Thursday. And again. Great opportunity for women to come and connect, and they have been having some amazing times in God's presence over the, over the weeks. So I'm excited to hear some great things from that. And so this is the last week for that. We, have, we are continuing to meet every Wednesday morning for our Bible study. That is our, if you're really serious, Bible study. And the reason I say that is because it's 6.30 a.m. that we meet. It takes seriousness to get up that early to, uh, to go and talk about the Word of God. And so we'll be meeting this Wednesday, 6.30 a.m. at the Hungry Moose. We get together, we have coffee, maybe a little breakfast if you like, and um, and we talk about the Word. We've been breaking down the book of Romans, and we've been doing this for several months now, and we're only 12 chapters into Romans because we just get into talking some good stuff. And so I want to encourage you to be a part of that. These are all ways of connecting, doing life together, but also becoming a disciple of Christ and getting into the Word of God. It's one of the most, it is easily the most important thing to the believer is the Word of God and getting into it, not just hearing it every Sunday, but getting into it for yourself. And then the last announcement I'm going to share with you for today is after service today, One o'clock over at Richwood's Christian Church. Um, They are good friends with us here at Relevant Faith, and they uh, often allow us to use their space, which is nice for a mobile church, because in case you didn't notice, you came to a movie theater today. And so we we, we borrow this space. And so when we want to do something special with our church, whether it's a night of worship or meetings or... Today is our Christmas program, Christmas Fellowship Day. Um, we borrow space. So at Richwoods Christian Church, we will have Christmas at Relevant Faith, which is kind of unique that we'll be at another church doing it. But um, it's going to be a great time. Our kids have a really special program that they've been working on to share with us. We have um, even some, a couple of teenagers who've worked on something that want to share with us. We'll have a special song to share with you guys. And then great, great food, mainly because a lot of y'all are bringing food. And then we're supplying uh, the main dish and uh, main course. And, um, and so we'll have great food. We'll have great fun. It'll be a lot of fun. You'll definitely want to come. And if you have friends or family that you want to invite, they're welcome to come. We have a Christmas gift for everyone who comes, every family that comes. We have a gift for you. And so, um, so but it's a great opportunity to get and connect with us as a church, but also just to enjoy the holidays. We want to celebrate together because there's a lot to celebrate when you talk about the birth of Christ. And so today, that's all the announcements I have for you for right now. And so for today, um, we are continuing this series. We have been in this series now for 12 weeks called The Everyday Spirit, where we have been talking about the Holy Spirit. It started out as this four to six week journey that I felt like we were going to be on. And then God's like, no, we're going to park here for a little while. And so we're going to actually close out the entire year in this series, Uh, so for the next three weeks, and it's going to be a powerful time that you're not going to want to miss the next few weeks. But today, we're going to actually talk about, we're going to combine the season of Christmas with all that God has spoken of and talked of in Scripture as it relates to the birth of Christ. And so we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit at birth, because the Holy Spirit was active, very, very active in the birth of Christ. And so churches all around the world this season, they're making their preparations for Christmas productions and plays and programs, even what we're doing. And they have focused outreach during this season, and, and there's all these things going on. And in the middle of all these preparations that are associated with Christmas, we often fail, especially when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we often fail to recognize and even appreciate the role of the Holy Spirit in the events that we are celebrating. And so that's kind of what this whole series has been about for 12 weeks, is talking about living out and walking out this relationship with the Holy Spirit every day of our lives. You're not going to hear a lot of that type of preaching in a lot of churches because it's a confusing topic for many, and and it's one of those things that, well, if I don't understand it, we're just going to skip over it. And so rather than skip over some things, it's important to learn some things. And so today we're going to do a little bit of learning today, if that's okay. And so, um, so while it is definitely right to focus on the wonder of Jesus taking human flesh and the form of human flesh and entering into our world, we can we can we can overlook the roles of both the Father and the Spirit in what's happening. And so, if we're really paying attention to what Scripture talks about in these events, you'll see the Spirit's role is actually one of the most vital roles that takes place. And so we're going to talk about this a little bit. We're going to jump into a few things here. Um, See, my ADD is messing with me. I got a little bug crawling across my stinking room. Sorry, guys. That's my ADD right there. It's not really. just my distraction. So here's... So here's we're going to start this journey and talk about the Holy Spirit at birth. And interestingly enough, he's mentioned in the birth of John the Baptist before he appears in the birth of Jesus. And so if you have your Bible, you can open it up with me. If it's on your device, that's fine. It'll be up on the screen as well. There's going to be a bunch of scripture that I share with you. And we're going to be living in Luke chapter 1 pretty much all morning. And we'll be, we'll be hopping around a couple of different places as we, as we hopefully make sense of all of this. And so the Bible says in Luke chapter 1... Verse number 11, Luke 1, verse 11. The Bible says, While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, so it started out in church, just so you guys understand. I always, you're in a church where the pastor talks about the importance of being in church. And so understand that this whole situation started out in the church. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. Then he goes on to say, you must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks, He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. So here's something really unique and really interesting that we find in this passage of Scripture where the Bible says that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, which is interesting because when you hear it preached, when you hear the Holy Spirit preached or talked about or taught, you never... You hear about the Holy Spirit filling you at your conversion of faith when you become a believer. And you hear about the Holy Spirit coming upon you with power in recognition of what happened in Acts chapter 2. But never do you really hear anybody talk about someone being filled with the Holy Spirit even before birth. And so an interesting thought about this, just to give you some background. Elizabeth was a pretty old woman and who had been considered by society to be barren she's not going to be able to have children. Sounds like a familiar story from the Old Testament when Abraham and Sarah couldn't have children and they had they had Isaac in their old age. And so it's an interesting similarity there. And then if you look <coughs> so she becomes pregnant and she's she is um she's got this child that was born that God opened up her womb and gave gave her child with her husband, Zechariah. And then if you look in Luke chapter 1, verse 39, jump ahead a little bit. It says, a few days later, Mary hurried, Mary now, we're talking about the mother of Jesus, Mary, hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Really interesting. So she had a child who was filled with the Holy Spirit before, she was even, before he was even born. Yet mom had not yet been filled with the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit can move and, and do things that are completely and totally ridiculous to our thought processes. And so, so here comes yet another reference This is, I'm building up the story as to why the Holy Spirit has been, was so critical at birth. So building up another reference and talks about the Spirit being at work in what took place before Jesus' birth when John was born and Zechariah's speech was restored. So here's the thing about Zechariah. So Zechariah, when God appeared to him and told him, so I didn't read all of this, right, because there's so much here. Uh, when, God, when God appeared to him and told him, your, your, your wife is going to become pregnant, he, his first thought, his first instinct was to doubt what he was hearing, doubt that the Spirit of God sent this angel to speak to him. And so because of his unbelief and because of his doubt, God hushed him to the point to say, you're not even going to be able to speak again until this child is born can you imagine that an angel appears your wife's not pregnant yet and says they're going to have a baby and because you you're of your unbelief you're not going to be able to speak until that baby's born now some wives in the room might say man nine months of my husband not speaking that might be a good thing right if my wife was sitting here she probably would have given an amen to that one right but so but here's the thing there's two things i want you to understand cuz i'm about to read something to you that's that's pretty powerful in itself it's again a very similar story to an old testament story with moses because moses doubted in his ability doubted in what god called him to do and as a result God still moved in dramatic ways through Moses' life, and he led the people of Israel out of captivity, but there was one thing that happened when it came to Moses is he did not, if you know the story, he did not enter the promised land, and the reason why him and his entire generation died before they received the promised land was because of their lack of belief and their disobedience. And so while it's so really important, and this is what we do as, the, as people in church and believers, we see God move and we attribute it to something we might have said or done. Something good we might have said or done. Like, uh, you know what, I must have been well behaved, you know, because God did this and blessed me, or I must have made the right choice because God did this and blessed me. But we forget the Bible says that God is not a respecter of person. God moves in spite of anything, and you've heard me say this before, and so if you're new here, you might hear something that will rattle your ears a little bit, but it's King James Version of the Bible. God called a jackass to speak, a donkey, if you want to use more proper language, although it's the same thing, but God used a donkey to speak, and I figure if God can use a donkey or cause a rock to cry out, I shouldn't think so highly of myself before I speak or before I move, because God did an amazing thing for the children of Israel in spite of their sin. God did an amazing thing for Zechariah and Elizabeth in spite of his sin, but yet there was still consequence of that. So I'll, I'll say this and before I move on, is be very careful with how you speak and how you live in relation to how God and directly connected to how God moves because if we use that as a barometer to think that I might be doing something right we might find ourselves in a situation like Moses who if you really study in depth where Moses died the place where he was died and buried literally means on the edge of promise Let that just sit there for a second. The place he died literally means on the edge is what it meant. Yet the place Joshua died literally meant the center. Study it. It's pretty, it's pretty powerful. There was a consequence for Moses' sin. He didn't enter the kingdom of God. God still moved. The spirit still did his thing, but he didn't see it all the way through. Just the same as Zechariah, who by his unbelief was silenced. And then this is what happens in Luke chapter 1, verse number 67 through 80. The Bible says, then his father, because John was born, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. So here's what happens. There's unbelief. There is sin, because unbelief is sin, or disobedience is sin. So there's this sin that takes place. Zechariah's mouth is hushed and shut. And then when the child is born, just as God said, he gave him his voice, and this is what happens. Verse 68. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. This is the prophecy when John the Baptist was born now. The Holy Spirit giving him these words. He says he has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. He says we have been rescued from our enemies so that we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live and you my little son will be called the prophet of the most high because you will prepare the way for the lord john the baptist's purpose was already predetermined as to what he was going to do and he was going to prepare the way for jesus now mind you John the Baptist is born, and most theologians, based on Scripture and how it's written, believe that, that Elizabeth was about pregnant about six months when Mary walked into the room and her child leapt, six months before Jesus was, bo- was, was born. So there's about a six-month six age gap. Jesus isn't even born yet, and Zechariah is prophesying what this is going to look like. He says, you will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins because of God's tender mercy. The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path, to the path of peace. In verse 80, John grew up and became strong in the spirit and he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel. An interesting correlation between John and Jesus. And this was the prophetic word, the first words uttered from Zechariah when his son was born. If you just let that sit in your spirit for just a minute, and you pull, look at a couple of things, and I, I don't have even time enough to go through all of this, because I just read you 13, 14 verses of Scripture that I could probably break down and preach each one, and that's about 14 weeks of, God, of preaching right there. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you just a few highlights starting in verse number 72 when he says he has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his covenant see here's a, an important thing to realize and understand is god made a covenant with his people something he could not break he was not a- allowed by his own standard to break that covenant regardless of what would happen and if you think about what has happened from abraham to today He's had a lot of reasons to break that covenant. As a matter of fact, I would suggest that 100% of this room would have done walked out on humanity if it was up to us. And so he says because of that covenant, he remembered us. And then he said he swore this oath that we'd be rescued from our enemies, but here's why. We always shout about being rescued from our enemies, but we don't understand the purpose of it. We think the purpose of being rescued from our enemies is so that we somehow have this great blessing and that we somehow have all this stuff, when the reality is we are rescued from our enemies so that we can serve God without fear. And how? In holiness and righteousness. Two things the church don't preach anymore. Why? Because holiness means I am set apart to look completely different from this world. Wait a minute, you're telling me i got to look a little different? Yes. You mean i got to talk a little different? Yes. You mean i got to act a little different? Yes. That's holiness, that's righteousness, to be set apart. If you look, matter of fact, if you read the message version of Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible says in in the message version, don't be, you know, our our version, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed, right? He says, if you fit into the world so easily that nobody knows you slid in or slid out, you might have to check where you actually are allegiant to. And that's the problem we have in society today. We are constantly slipping in and slipping out. Ooh, let me get into Jesus right now, but oh, no, you know what? I like the club. Or let me get into Jesus, but, you know, I like my hip-hop, you know, because it's cool to sing songs that drop F-bombs every third word, or it's cool to praise a woman's body because, you know, that's, 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 that's okay. It's just music. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, good try. I tried that one once. Doesn't really work. I used to say that about some heavy metal that I used to like to listen to. I have like this musical mix-up of genres of, if it's music, I love it. So whether it's hip-hop or R&B, heavy metal, there's some things I couldn't get into. I could get into country, believe it or not, only a few artists. But I used to think that way. It's just the music. I just, I listened to it for the beats. I listen to it for the sound, and I'd be in the, behind the wheel of my car listening to an old Metallica song where it's like raging hardcore drums and guitars, and next thing you know, I look at my speedometer, and I'm doing 100 miles an hour. Tell me it's just beats, and I only listen to it for the music when I die in a car wreck. Or, one, of my, one before, even with Jesus, this is a convicting story, I used to like the movie 8 Mile, With Eminem, who I think is probably one of the most lyrically genius people ever. But everything he had to say was pretty much trash. But he was genius at saying trash. We'll just put it that way. And so I would listen to this song that was in the movie, at the end of the movie. It used to get me pumped up because it was like, it was almost like a, oh, all the doubters, I I showed you wrong, right? That's what the song is about. And there's nothing necessarily inherently wrong about the song. But the beat is just sick. And I was like, Ooh. next thing you know, I'm like, the words are flowing out of my mouth. And then I, I come through and then I say this word. I'm like, whoa, that's not holiness. That's not righteousness. So I just made the, the point to say, if it's not glorifying God and it's, it's, not, it's got language in it, then it's not for me and it's not for my family. That's just, I just had to make that choice. Not that it's always all bad, but I had to make that decision. Because why? It doesn't reflect my purpose for living. I was rescued from my enemies not to sing eight, sing eight mile Eminem songs. I was rescued from my enemies to live a life of holiness and righteousness. Because that's the only really, the only true way we can make an impact in this world is if we look different from it. Say what you want, like or dislike, love, hate, Whatever the case may be, the current president of the United States, don't care about that. I'm not, I'm not a politician. I don't talk politics. But I will say this, two things. I always preface it by saying this. If you're doing anything other than praying for him, you're in sin. Let's move away from that because I said it. It's truth. But here's the other thing. He rattles people because he's completely different than anything anybody ever would have expected nor, or wanted. I don't care about his policy. I don't care about anything. He rattles people because he's different. Imagine how much we could rattle the world if we actually looked different. People would just be like, sis, I just don't get it. There's something different about this brother. something different about this sister. I just got to understand why. That's why the world is enamored with every little thing that he does as the president. Everything is under a microscope. Why? Because they don't understand him. Like, this guy's nuts. What is he doing? Why is he saying these things? Why is he doing these things? So the whole world is is after this, I got to understand. So they put him in under a microscope. Imagine if we looked like that for Jesus. Could you imagine if you were actually, we were actually living righteousness and holiness, and people said, I just got to see what's up with this. Let me move on. That was all free. None of that was in my message. So separately from John the Baptist, but at the same time, the Holy Spirit is working in the life of Mary. So apart from what the Holy Spirit was doing in the lives of Mary and Joseph in preparation for Jesus to be born, he was working at an even wider scale to ensure that this miraculous birth would actually be understood. And so Luke directs us, and this is we're going to spend the rest of our time here in Luke chapter 1. We're going to backtrack just a little bit to verse number 26, when the angel Gabriel Gabriel appears to Mary in Nazareth to announce to her that she would bear a son. And there were a couple of very unique things that would take place, and that's what we're going to unpack a little bit today. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that's why they believe it, because it's written, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. We're going to unpack that in a minute. There's some power in that. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. See, think about it. When you, when you hear that, you almost just think, of, like, oh, just, I'm being greeted. Well, what kind of greeting causes confusion? There has to be something more to what the greeting was, and that's what we're going to get to here in a minute. The angel would go on to say, don't be afraid, Mary. The angel said, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And then Mary asked the angel, But how can this happen? I am a virgin. That that might be an issue. Then the angel said, Hold the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby will be born, the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. I'm going to say that again because some of y'all missed an opportunity to give God some praise and say amen. He says, for the word of God will never fail. Thank you. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. There's so much in this. Let's jump right in. The very first thing I want to point out is there's this unique situation going on. It's one of the, if you have your fill in the blank notes, that's the first blank right there. It's a unique situation. You can use that to track with me or you can use that to doodle on if you're bored. Either way, it doesn't bother me. But there's this unique situation going on. Verse 28 Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings favored woman, the Lord is with you. She was confused and disturbed, and she tried to understand what could this angel possibly mean. And then he told her not to be afraid, you've found favor with God, and you'll conceive and give birth to a son. There's a reason, there's several reasons why this is a unique situation. She was a virgin, a teenage girl, who was saving herself for the man that she was about to marry. How's she going to have a child? Wait a minute. I'm certain that her thought process, because it's a human thought process, would have probably suggested, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll probably have a baby after I'm married, right? Makes sense. Okay, you're telling me I'm going to have a baby after I'm married. Cool. But that wasn't how it was. And so here's the other part of that unique situation. (laughs) Mary was actually found by God to be worthy. Worthy of this situation. To be worthy to be the mother of the Son of God. And why was she worthy? Because she kept herself in pureness and she had this love for G- for, for God. And this is what, and then why, so why else was she worthy? Well, the angel said it in verse 28. He called Mary favored. Now this word favored has a lot of context and a lot of different definitions and a lot of locations. And the good thing about Scripture is it uses different words. But in this context, to be favored meant that the grace of God was on her. Not just grace like, you know, God shares with us that, that, that oh, we're having grace with one another. Oh, you made a mistake. You know, I'll forgive you and I'll walk with you through this and we're showing grace. We're not talking about that grace. This was considered to be a special honor of grace. Because this word favored only appears twice in all of the New Testament. It's not the same thing as you read in Proverbs when it talks about favor with God and with man. It's not the same thing when you talk about salvation and finding favor with God. And it's this unmerited gift of grace that God has for us. It's a different favor. It's a different word. It actually means a special honor. Of grace. This is the reason why the Catholic Church puts Mary up in this pedestal and worships her because God bestowed upon her a special honor. So much so that an entire religion would honor her in a a glorious way that she deserves honor, but almost too much because it takes from the son she actually had. But at the same time, she deserves that place of honor because this is who she was. The only other is the second place it was used is Ephesians chapter one, verse six, when Paul talks about his glory, God's glorious grace that was poured out on us. So this place of honor that Mary found herself in is the same grace that God, the special honor that God has, that He poured it out on us. And so if you remember back, I'm gonna pull if you if you were here and you've been tracking, I'm gonna pull you back a few weeks to the seventh week in this series, and I mentioned Romans chapter 15, verse number 13, and Paul said he hopes that God fills you completely with joy, and how we talked and we broke that down, how that actually means that God was leaning in your direction. Do you all remember that? Some of you all remember that from being here that week? That there's this place that God has, this grace that God has, this favor that he has that brings joy and causes him to lean in your direction, and so this, we find that same word here because Mary begins to fear the greeting of the angel. And then the angel Gabriel says to her, don't be scared. Goes on to say, God is leaning in your direction. And so for her, that would be able to bring immediate comfort and peace. To know, because here's the thing, she had this understanding of who God was. She knew who God was. The Bible talks about how much she loved the Lord. It talks about how much she served the Lord. It talked about how she lived righteous and she lived holy. So she knew who this God was. So when the angel, empowered by the Spirit, would say, hey, don't worry about it. God is leaning in your direction. It would bring her instantaneous peace. To say, oh, wait a minute. God's actually got this. You know, because we talk about that. We're like, hey, you know what? Don't stress, don't worry, God's got this. And we say things like that, but we just don't believe things like that. This is one of those moments where it's like, whoa, so you mean to tell me God's really got this? And then he goes on to tell her that she'll give birth to a child. So the second thing that I want to pull out of this passage, there's four, four things total I want to pull out of this passage of scripture for you. Keep track of my time here. So the second thing I want to pull out of here is that, so there was this unique situation, found a unique person worthy to be the son of, the mother of the son of God. But there is this unique person that was being formed in all of this. If you look in verse 31 and 33, it says, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. You know, we hear that, we hear those words and we think, wow, this, this is just this beautiful image and beautiful uh, description of my Savior, right? Back then, to speak those words, had she uttered them in public, she would have been killed. Because they were so there was so much holiness and so much righteousness connected to the prophecy of Jesus. Because you got to remember, the Jews from the Old Testament believed the same prophecies of Jesus. They just don't believe that he came when he did. And so to say this, for her, a 14, 15-year-old girl who's never been with a man to say, not only am I going to have a baby, but he's going to be the son of God. He's going to be called the Lord Most High Or if you really want to dive into this name Jesus in this context, it's the name Yahweh saves, or probably more properly is Yahweh is salvation, which means you're going to give birth to somebody who is actually salvation. That is blasphemy in the Jewish church. We will kill you for that. That's what that was. So can you, the, the amount of fear, see we don't, when we read it in our language and we don't understand the, the custom and the culture, we miss things that are very important. And so there would have been this overwhelming gripping of fear that would have taken place in her. And she knew in her mind, we, we gotta get, we gotta go where don't nobody know us. We gotta get out of this place because she knew how crazy that was. You know, people would have been up in arms about this. And when the angel said he would be called the son of the most high, this refers to a literal ranking. This isn't just like, oh, he's son and God's high. No, he's a literal ranking. Jesus would be the son of the highest ranking being in existence which would make him the next in line. Again, more blasphemy, because the language that's being used suggests it's a ranking system. It's like saying we have a general in the, in the United States Army, and then you have a lieutenant general underneath that person. The general, the, the, the general of the army is the highest-ranking officer in the entire, world, entire United States of America in that army. And the one the second in command would be the second-highest ranking. You're saying that this person, that's you, you missed teenager, is going to give birth to, is going to automatically be elevated to the second highest level of all existence? Yeah. More blasphemy. So basically, everything. So then, so so let me, one more thing before I move on. Then the suggestion that this father will give him the throne of David, which every Jew knew belonged to the Messiah. Every Jew knew, that this, the throne of David belonged to the Messiah. So you're saying that this child is going to take that throne. Here's what they heard. The child you're going to give birth to is going to steal something from me. You will know, steal the throne from my heritage. And so basically everything the angel would say to her would cause pain, would cause anguish, and would ultimately lead to certain death. It's a whole different story than what we think about at Christmas, isn't it? So we have to understand the, the unique person that Jesus was. So there's this situation that's unique, there's this person that's coming that's unique. And then there's, and I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this because it just is what it is, there's this unique conception that takes place. Mary asked the angel, How can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, but the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. So here's what he's saying. He repeats this even to Joseph to help ease his mind because if you know the story, Joseph was like, dude, my, my, my girl is pregnant and it wasn't by me. I don't know what to do. Nowadays, it it doesn't seem to be much of a problem. Back then, big problem. Big, big problem. Again, getting back to that. See, we talked about all the blasphemy from the prophecy. We didn't even talk about this unwed woman being pregnant. Because in that day, death, stoned, and I don't mean recreationally. I'm talking big rocks on this little girl. That was going to be the punishment for what society today makes no big deal. How far we've come. But so she's got this thing going on. Then Joseph's like, "Mm, mm," kind of torn between the love that he has for this woman. I'm just going to set her free privately. We're going to divorce privately. And then the angel appears to him and says the same thing. Don't be afraid. Take Mary as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 through 21, and you'll call him Jesus. So it didn't really bring him any peace either. So wait a minute, now I gotta be in it with her. You're tying me to all this blasphemy. You're tying me to all this anguish and this death. This ain't happening. But then here's what the, the glory of what just took what would take place. So there's this unique situation with this unique person, with a unique conception that brought on a very unique obedience. In verse 36 through 38, when the angel spoke of Elizabeth and told her it became pregnant in her old age, that he did something amazing and special in her, and says, for the word of God will never fail, because she knew the word. Remember, this is a young girl, but she was righteous. She was holy. She loved the Lord, which means she knew the word. And he said, she says in response to all of this, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Could you imagine? Angel appears to you, says, listen. I'm going to do something amazing in you that's going to be miraculous and unbelievable and special, and you do, you'll do a special honor because of it. But it might, it, 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 it could possibly, and in their, their minds they're thinking this. God obviously knows the plan, but he says it could cause you death, a lot of pain, a lot of anguish, a lot of folks looking at this pregnant girl being like, mm, she ain't even married. All that's going to come upon you. Let's just be real for a moment. Raise your hand if you say, yes, please, Lord, choose me. I'm going to put my hand in my pocket so we're just not confused by my choice. Yeah, Lord, choose me. I'm all for this. And she said, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. So when she declares that she's the Lord, the servant of God, what she's acknowledging is two things. She's acknowledging both position and ownership. Now get this, okay, because this is the call of every believer to understand position and ownership. She is literally calling herself a slave to God. That's what she's saying. I am a slave to my Father in heaven. But then on the second, so the first thing she's understanding there, her ownership. This is who owns me. And that sounds like, you know, it makes us say, uh-uh, don't nobody own me. I'm my own person. I can do me whatever I want to do me, and I don't, I'm not owned by nobody. But remember, as a believer, you were called and you were bought. You were paid for. Sorry to say, it wasn't with this, but it was with the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. He bought and paid for you. Whether you admit it or not, Whether you embrace it or not makes no bit of difference. It's like my child. My son is my son. Whether he admits it or not, embraces it or not, makes no difference, he's still my son. He's going to do what I tell him to do, when I tell him to do it, how I tell him to do it. And when he says no, it gets real. He don't say no very often. We'll just say that. I got a good boy. But that's, that's that's what it is. It's ownership. I bought you, I paid for you with the blood of my son Jesus. So now you I own you. So she knew who had owned her. And then she knew her position because it, by, and she said, I am going to give myself, when she says, let whatever you have said come true, she's saying, I'm giving up myself completely, my will, my desire, my everything, and I'm positioning myself beneath your will, your desire, and your everything. That's what Mary did that day when she said what she said. It sounds a whole lot like what Jesus did that day in the garden when he appeared before God and said, if there's any way, Lord, that this cup can pass from me, because I know I'm about to experience pain, I know I'm about to experience embarrassment, I know I'm about to suffer perhaps the greatest possible suffering of death known to man, and he said, if there's any other way, and then he said the greatest words in the history of humanity, nevertheless, Not my will, but your will. There is no other way, but oh my goodness, I'm going to submit myself. And the Bible says that he was obedient to the Father even to death on the cross. We want this life. We want this glorious life and the blessings of our Father. But the problem is we're not willing to understand ownership and position. I don't belong to me. My choices are not my own to make. I try to bathe every single decision and choice that I can in God's presence and His prayer, hoping the Holy Spirit will speak directly to me because I don't want to be one step out of bounds. But here's what I realize. I realize that I am human. I am flesh. I live in the almost out of bounds. It's like the NFL football player who catches the ball and tiptoes the sideline to the end zone. I feel like that's how I live sometimes. I'm staying in bounds even if it's just by an inch. So what does all this mean for us today? This is is an understanding of the Holy Spirit at work at Jesus' birth and even before. There's a second part to this message we're going to get to next week. So what does this mean for me today? This is the part of the message where I always try and I love to try to make things very practical. What can I take away from this to change my life today? And so that's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give it to you quickly because I'm running out of time. (laughs) There's three things I'm going to give you. And they come right from this passage of scripture. I'm just going to give you some other scripture to support these three things. Number one, be worthy. God found Mary to be worthy. Not because there was anything gloriously amazing about her, except that she loved the Lord, she was righteous, and she was holy. That's it. She was a teenager. She was a teenager, chosen to be the mother of God's only son, whom would be called itself salvation. So just be worthy. What does that mean? Ephesians chapter 4 tells us in verse number 1. Paul says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. So let me help you understand something really quickly. If you're sitting in here and you have breath in your lungs, you are called by God. Period. I'm not called by God because I'm the preacher with a microphone. I'm preaching with a microphone because that's what God gave me to preach with. Some of us, he gave us jobs to preach with. Some of us, he gave us money to preach with. Money. Some of the things he gave us is possessions to preach with. Some of, the thing, some of us gave us a story to preach. Everybody's got different passions. Everybody's got different values. Everybody's got different things that they are embracing as truth. But the reality is we are all called by God. So number one, be worthy. Live a life worthy of the calling that God has given you. And so what does that mean? Just be holy, be righteous, forsake sin. When you fail, notice I didn't say if, I said when. When you fail, when you walk out these doors and you get behind the wheel of your car and someone cuts you off and you fail. Just as a report, y'all, I'm doing really a lot better with that. I think I've only called one driver a moron in the last three weeks. Y'all think you laugh, but that was like a daily thing for me. I'm doing better. So if I can do it, you can do it. But just be worthy. It's, it's simple. I mean, there are practical things that you have to do to live out a life of holiness. It's not just this, oh, magically I'm holy. I walked into the presence of God and He shone upon me and I walked out and now I'm holy. Because you know what happens when you walk out of the presence of God? <laughs> The devil walks all around you. The Bible says that he is, he is what? Searching and roaming the earth, looking for whom he may devour. He's looking for you. He's trying to find you because he wants to kill you. Why does he want to kill you? Because he knows that you have been called. He knows stuff about you that you don't even know. That's why he's coming after you. So number one, be worthy. Number two, be unique. You were were created in God's image, and he made you the way that he made you. Don't try to be someone else. Certainly don't try to be me. You don't want that headache. I promise you, it's a hard job for me to try to be me. You don't want to try to be me. You don't want to try to be your neighbor. You don't want to try to be the person across the street. You don't want to try to be your mama. You don't want to try to be your auntie. You want to just be you. He created you in a unique way, so be the way he created you. The God of creation, the one who created everything at, this, at his speech, he, purpo- he created and purposed the Son of God to arrive just the way that he did. The same God who created and purposed Jesus this way is the same God who created and purposed you. All he wants is for you to walk out the call he has for you. He's mapped it out. How many have ever asked the question, God, what have you called me to do? Be honest. Raise your hand. This is not one of these rhetorical ones. Raise your hand if you ask that question. God, what do you call me to do? You ready for the answer? Guess what? Pastor got the answer. I told you I had something to say. Here's the answer. You ready? It's in your notes. Ephesians 5, 1, imitate him. Philippians 4, 8, think about what is pure, holy, and right. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, pray continually. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances. Colossians 3.17, let the word of Christ dwell in you. Proverbs 19.17, be kind to the poor. Focus on the heart of heavenly things. Focus my heart on heavenly things, Colossians 3 and 2. Be kind and compassionate, Ephesians 4.32. Be devoted in prayer, Colossians 4.2. Live above reproach in 1 Timothy 3.2. Make the most out of every opportunity, Colossians 4, 5. There's your call. It's simple. We try to complicate it because we think it needs to be personalized. We think we got this monogrammed call. That, like, like some folks be wearing a monogrammed shirt, your pastor don't wear those, just so you know. Too, too rich for my blood. I'd rather give the money to someone else. Just my personal opinion. Not shunning anybody who's got monogram. I have a monogrammed uh, handkerchief. Someone gave them to me. But it's not a monogrammed call. It's not this, okay, so Mike, you are this and this and this, so I'm going to personalize and write, this is your call, Mike. I'm going to write it out. I'm going to put your name on. I'm going to stamp it. Matter of fact, I'm going to pin it on your chest like it's a badge of honor. Here's your call. That's what we want from God when he already laid it out in his word. Because here's what I'm going to tell you. When you walk this way that's mapped out in your notes, guess what? It's going to lead you right to exactly the space, the time, and the work that God specifically called you to do. That's what it is. People ask me all the time. And and for the longest time, let me tell you, for the longest time, I had no idea. This is, I had no idea. I would tell people, they'd be like, how did you get to where you are? How are you preaching the way that you preach? The first time I've, I've had a lot of first time preachers come in here. We've allowed, we, I, that's what I love to do. I love to give people the opportunity to preach the word of God who don't usually preach the word of God or have never done it. And every last one of them who've done it did it better than me. My first time I had to sit in a chair, I was so nervous, my hands were sweaty. And we didn't even have technology back then, so I hand wrote my messages. And I think half my message bled off the page because I was sweating so badly. And then I sat down and I was terrified because I had 14 teenagers looking at me. And all of them judging me. At least that's what I thought. I was awful. I didn't go to Bible college. I gave my life to Christ in my 20s, got married, had kids. Bible college just wasn't going to be a thing for me. So people were all the time, well, why do you do, how can you do what you do? Why do you do it with so much passion? How do you, how do you, how do you, I'm like, I don't know. This is what God told me to do, so I do it. But now, 20 plus years of serving the Lord, I've figured out, hey, you know what? There was a season in my life when I walked this way, and I actually still do for the most part. But I remember when I was on fire for Jesus, and I was just like, man, I just wanted whatever God has is what I want. And I found myself in church all the time, and I found myself worshiping all the time, and I found myself praying all the time. And then I did away with my sinful nature. Think about what's pure and holy and right. And I was like, man, I got to quit cussing. I got to stop smoking. I got to stop doing drugs. I got to stop drinking. I got to start womanizing. I got to stop doing all these things. And it wasn't just like, I'm, I'm that good, I can just stop. That's the everyday spirit right there. Holy Spirit had to lead me in all that. It took me a while. Language took a little while. I came from every third word being the F word as part of my vocabulary. So it took a little while to get that out of my system. Just like you, it take a little while to get it out of your system. But let me tell you something. If you refuse to get it out of your system, let me tell you what your future looks like. Your future looks like death. Your future looks like destruction. Your future looks like pain and anguish and heartache. And why, oh, why, oh, why is your future? Because you you fail to actually make the decision to walk this way. But if you do, let me tell you the things that are headed your way. It's, it's the same thing that Jesus experienced, the glory of God shining upon him, power coming from him. It's the same thing. He said to his people, greater works than I have done, you will do also. He did not mean greater as in bigger or more important. He meant greater as in you're going to do so much more than I did. Why? Because you won't live longer than me. That was the point of that. People think, oh, I get to do greater things than Jesus. It don't get much greater than raising from the dead. Just so y'all know. So, you ain't gonna do much better than him. But you will do more than he could possibly do because he died. He died young. Y'all got life in you. And it doesn't matter if you are 15, you are 25, 45, 65, or 105, God's still not done with you. You got breath in your lungs. Let me tell you, over the last six years, the person, and not a lot of you know this, but the person who blessed me the most. Out of everyone in my life was a hundred and three-year-old nun. See, you know, people don't know this story. Saving this one for this time. Not really, God just brought it to my heart. I was struggling. I was dealing with some emotional problems. I was dealing with some some insecurities, some pain, some hurts. So I took about a month off of preaching and I went away for a couple of weeks. Some of you who were around for that might remember that. I went away for a couple of weeks. My spiritual father, Gary Grogan from Stone Creek Church in Urbana, brought some preachers. And he himself, they came and they spoke and preached the word of God for about a month. And I just went because I needed, to be, I needed a place to get, get healed and get my heart cared for. Because a shepherd can't care for people if his heart's not being cared for. You can't care for people if your heart's not being cared for. And so I got away and I went to this place in Springfield called the Kiara Center. And it's, they've, got a, they've, got a, they've got nuns that live there. And I just walked the grounds one day. Sat down, was praying, and this nun sat next to me, and I kind of felt awkward. Because this, like this old lady, she was she walking still. She looked like older than dirt, and she was walking. And so she sits next to me. Worship team, come while I'm telling this story, please. I'm done. So she sits next to me, and she asks me, Real simply, so what's going on in your life? I was like, whew, it's going to be dark soon. I don't know if we got enough time for that. She said, I got all the time in the world. And so I just, I literally just, everything that was going on, every hurt, anxiety, stress, pressure, insecurity, things nobody even knew existed in me. I just laid it all out. You know what she did? Is God's beautiful because he, Sends just the person at just the time, with just the way to say it that needs to be heard, just the way you heard it. And she took my hand gently. And then she slapped me on my hand, the top of my hand, pop. And I was like, what? And she said, don't you know you were made in God's image? And I just was broke. I cried. Big old me, little old nun. I cried. I wept. I cried like I probably ain't cried since I was whooped by my daddy. I just wept. And she hugged me. And that's literally, that's all she said. I mean, she said there was some other conversation and stuff, but the only thing of great significance she said to me after she slapped my hand was, don't you know you were made in God's image? And I don't know why or what it was about those words in that space and in that moment, but it brought complete rest to my heart, so much so, I came back to Peoria, I wanted to preach that week, they wouldn't let me, I sat down for another week, two weeks, and just sat in church with, my, with the church, and I mean, I spoke still, and, and, and prayed, and introduced speakers, and stuff like that, but I didn't preach, and I was just so amped up, and so ready, and then the next three messages that I would preach after that, for me, were some of them, were some, I preached literally to myself for those three weeks, and it changed my life. It literally brought me to a place where I could sing songs like it is well with my soul. I understood that I was made in God's image and that his call had already been laid out for me. I didn't have to make it all complicated and difficult and try to figure it all out because it was laid out for me. Very simply, all I had to do was get to know the one who knew it all. Yes, yes. Pastoring the church, yes, living for Jesus, I still had to get to know the one who knows it all. And all these years later, I'm still getting to, getting to know the one who knows it all. Because he's the one who has the answers. He's the one who's mapped it out. He's the one who said, Mike, I made you in my image. Just read about yourself right here. Mary and Jesus did one thing when it was all said and done. This is the last piece in your notes. They did one thing when it was all said and done. Same thing I'm going to ask you to do. Be obedient. You want to experience all the greatness that God has for you? You want to be the greatest Mother, the greatest father, you want to be the great preacher, you want to have, you want to walk out this greatness of life, whether it's in athletics or it's in in the word or if it's in a secular business world or wherever it is that you have a desire to be, you want to be great at what you do very simply. Live a life that's worthy, be unique, be who God created you to do. Houses are cookie cutters, people are not. And then be obedient. Luke said it like this in verse 28. Jesus replied, But even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. You're not blessed because you hear it. I may have tickled your ears this morning. I may have rose something up within your soul and your spirit this morning because of my passion. But don't get that twisted that my passion is God, speak is God. My passion is how he's downloaded into me. You're just getting it that way. What he is doing in you is found simply in being blessed with what you hear, but then putting it into action. That's why I always do a let's make it practical moment in my message. Because you have to put it into action. Because if you don't, it's like everything else. You're going to fall out your ear at some point. That's why I bet if I run into you, many of you, On Saturday, and say, Man, what has God done in your life based on what I preached last Sunday? Y'all gonna be like, Oh, (laughs) what'd you preach again? I get it. I, I understand it. I've been that way. That's why you have to put it into practice.